0: Well, John's Gospel, chapter 1, one of the profoundest parts of a book that in itself is very profound, uh, and yet there's a glory that suffuses uh, all the Bible, and particularly this uh, first chapter of John's Gospel. John makes it clear right from the beginning of his Gospel uh, who he is writing about. As he tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He is writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, here spoken of as the word or the Greek word is the logos. Spoken of one who communicates to us uh, from the Father. Who's distinct from the Father and yet is one with the Father. And there is that sense in which he communicates like a word uh, from A person. And as the chapter unfolds, uh, we come to verse 34 of the chapter, and John the Baptist says, I saw and bore record that this is the Son of God. And that is the profound truth that illumines all the pages of this gospel. Uh, That's who he is writing about. And at the end of his gospel, he makes clear to his readers, to us, to all listeners why he is writing about Christ in this way. In chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, These are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So he doesn't take anything for granted here. He doesn't necessarily think that we come as believers, but as he explains and illumines the life of Christ in this way. He tells us why he's written what he's written, in order that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then through believing in him we might have spiritual life, we might have eternal life through his name. So we cannot have eternal life, we cannot have spiritual life, if we do not believe that Jesus is the Christ Christ. And the Son of God. And so he's telling us really the utter centrality, the utter necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does this in his first chapter by looking at a number of different uh, very fundamental angles of life. And the first thing he makes clear is that Jesus Christ is central to the creation, central to the created order. He's saying all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now we know that we live in a tiny planet, planet Earth, in an inconceivably vast and immense universe. And even on this tiny planet Earth, we know that there are so many living things. Uh, There's life, plant life, animal life, microbial life, and of course there is mankind. And he's telling us right from the start, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So his language is very strong. He's saying, without him nothing was made that you see, nothing that there is that, that wasn't made by him. And it's... Uh, It's fairly obvious when you think about it, and it's often been referred to by commentators on this passage, that there is a deliberate echo, a recapitulation here of the very opening words of the Old Testament. John is going back to the beginning. And the very opening words of Genesis tell us that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. There's a clear echo there. There's a harmony between the beginning of the Bible and between the beginning of John's Gospel. Even in John's day, some Greek philosophers held to a kind of evolutionary theory. But John here... Discounts all that and he tells us that all existence, all life and most especially human life is here directly due to the creative activity of Jesus, the son of God, of the word. The same teaching is throughout the Bible and we think of Paul, the apostle Paul in Colossians chapter one, as he tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So we are not the product of meaningless chance of evolution. But going right back to the first man and woman, we are the product of special creation, the direct creative activity of God in Christ. We are created beings. So each of us has a dignity and a value and a meaning created in the image of God with that light of conscience and reason in each person who comes into the world. And that's why each of us is accountable to our Creator. That's why John could say uh, with, with a, an understandable emphasis that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. They should have received him, but they received him not. And what a sin it is to try and lock the Creator And lock the Lord Jesus Christ out of your life. And it is part of the wonder of the gospel that the Son of God himself, having created all things by the word of his power, should actually become part of the created order. And we can sense the glory and the wonder that we find in those words of verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are created beings. And Jesus Christ is right at the center of that. Secondly, this passage tells us Jesus Christ is at the center of God revealing himself or revelation. Because without God revealing himself, we couldn't work it out partly because our minds are just finite and human, but also because, as John points out, there is moral and spiritual darkness in mankind, in our minds. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. If they knew who Jesus was, if they fully uh, came into the light when Christ came into this world they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. And though their conscience told them this was the Son of God, the darkness in the heart of men made, meant that they didn't receive him. So how do we know God? We can only know God through him revealing himself. And how has he chosen to reveal himself? Well, he's chosen, of course, to reveal himself in the universe, in the created order, but that only takes us so far. Above all, he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Again, this is a great emphasis in this passage. Listen to what John says. No man has seen God at any time. No man has seen God at any time. No man, no angel even, has looked into the very essence of God. He is so great and so magnificent he is a consuming fire his glory glory upon glory no man has seen god at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him again it's coming back to the thought of the word the communication do you want to know what god is like well jesus christ reveals god to you to see jesus christ is to see the Father. It is to see God the Father. It's to see God the Holy Spirit. It is to see the one God. And God in his kindness and gentleness reveals himself to us through Jesus Christ, through his incarnation, through his earthly ministry, through his death for us and his resurrection for us. And we therefore have to own up to what John says here as this is revealed to us, the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not and his, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Part of listening to this light and responding to this light is to own up to the darkness of sin and need in our hearts that we are not just frail, That we are weak and sinful. And Christ, having come into this world, continues to speak to us. God continues to speak to us. How does he do that? How does he reveal himself to us? Well, it is through the Bible, through the teaching of the Bible. Later on in John's Gospel, John says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me central to creation central to revelation and then thirdly central to salvation central to god's saving purpose for us and this is what the ministry of john the baptist who's referred to in this passage is not the same as the writer the who was john uh, the disciple the fisherman and then the apostle uh, no john the baptist was different And he was the forerunner of Christ. He was a a herald to go before the Lord. And that's why it says here in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same, that is, John the Baptist, came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So John's great task was the task of every preacher and certainly every Christian, which was to, to point away from himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, in order that everyone might believe in him. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. It was his task, his ministry, to point to Christ. And what did he say in his preaching? Well, we, we don't know a lot about what he says. Each of the Gospels tells us something. But John's the evangelist John here particularly tells us this about what he had to say. It tells us this later on in the chapter, I didn't read this, in verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then verse 36, another day, the next day, John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. That was John doing exactly what God wanted him to do, which was to bear witness to Christ. But to Christ as the Lamb of God, to Christ as the one who would fulfill all the Old Testament sacrificial ritual, which pointed to him all the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed to Christ who would die for our sins upon the cross and would finish the need for animal sacrifice as a kind of visual aid and anticipation because the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of sheep and so on can never take away sin, but the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God can cleanse our conscience and take away the darkness, and take away the sin. And so Christ is the center of God's saving purpose. And we can put it like this, Jesus Christ has done it all. This is one of the great teachings of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ has done it all. We've been studying uh, recently in the church the letter to the Hebrews and this is one of the things that stressed so often. He just did one sacrifice for sins forever. And he sat down at the right hand of God. No more need of any more sacrifice. Certainly not of animal sacrifice. But nothing in our lives, nothing that we can do to earn God's mercy. Because Jesus has done it all. And now we live to his glory. And so we see that as... As a center, a central part of God's saving us, Jesus Christ became the Lamb of God. Now, in order to sacrifice his life upon the cross, in order to be crucified for us and to bear our sins, he had to be in human form. And we see that this is all part of the plan: that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Because it's only flesh that can be nailed to a cross it's only flesh that can have a spear thrust into it and a crown of thorns upon its head it's only flesh that can render up its spirit to the father and be put in a tomb it's only flesh that can rise from the dead be glorified it had to be a human nature what we're seeing here is that our savior became a man like us in all things, except for sin, of course, because if he had sinned, he couldn't have been a perfect sacrifice for our sins. But he never sinned. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we see in that statement, that mysterious statement, that Christ had a divine nature, the Word, and he had a human nature, was made flesh. And yet, the Bible tells us that the two natures, the human and the divine, never kind of mixed and got messed up with each other. One nature did not swallow up the other. Both natures remained perfect and distinct in the one person. In other words, Christ was always fully God and always fully man. And although he veiled his flesh, sorry, veiled his divinity, his deity, so that it wasn't always obvious, he never laid it aside. And his manhood was always perfect and complete manhood. He never stopped thinking like a man. And yet his manhood somehow was dignified and glorified by his union with deity. And it's still the same with Christ. It's still the same in heaven. There at the right hand of the Father, he is both God and man in the one person And that's why he's just the saviour we need, right at the centre of God's purpose, because he feels for us and he knows us. He's almighty and all-knowing because he's God and yet he's full of sympathy and compassion because he's man. The Lamb of God, but unlike a lamb, he felt and knew what it was to die for sinners and to be made sin, unlike an animal, his sacrifice was voluntary, and it was it knew he knew what he was doing, and so he's the center of God's purpose that we should have our sins forgiven, and he's the center of God's purpose as part of this salvation that we should become the sons of God. In verse twelve, but as many as received him, to them gave he power, or the right to become the sons of God even to them which believe on his name notice that how do you become a son of God how do you have your sins forgiven by believing on his name nothing there about taking a pilgrimage nothing there about attending church 26 Sundays in a row nothing there about anything that you or I do it's by believing on his name of course, that intends turning from sin, as God enables us. But it is by faith in Christ Jesus that we are saved. And what is the result of this? In verse 13, we which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. He's talking here now not about our first birth, but he's talking about a second birth. A spiritual life, which John's Gospel, chapter 3, goes into in much more detail. To believe on his name is to receive spiritual life from God directly. And John has more to say about that later in this chapter, the evangelist I mean. He has more to say about that as he tells us that part of John's preaching In verse 32 he says John bare record saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him and I knew him not but he that sent me to baptize with water said unto me upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Can you think of that God pouring down upon you splashing down drenching you not with water but with the Holy Spirit, with life, suddenly swallowed up in spiritual life as the Spirit of God comes into your heart, as you become a son of God, as your sins are pardoned. And Jesus Christ is at the centre of it all. And in order to do that, he became flesh and dwelt among us. We worship him and especially we must believe upon him.